Well, good morning. Welcome to week number two of our three-week journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember, it's a book that's filled with the reflections of an old man looking back on life. And he looks back on his life, and he is filled with regret. Right? We started last week, our first week in this series, quoting uh, Plato, who's quoting Socrates, who said, The unexamined life is not worth living. So we're examining life. This, this writer of Ecclesiastes is inviting us to do what he's doing, maybe before it's too late. Because American writer Kurt Vonnegut asked this. He said, Plato says that the unexamined life is not worth living, but what if the examined life turns out to be a clunker as well? True. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes invites us to say, before it's too late, before you're too far along, Look at what really matters, so that you don't end up like me, so that you don't end up filled with regret. His life, the teacher's life from the book of Ecclesiastes, to the rest of the world around him, looked spectacular. It looked like a stunning success, but his was the clunker that Kurt Vonnegut refers to. So he spends most of this book writing, writing his reflections on looking back on all of his strivings in life. All of the things that he lived for, that he pursued. That's a word we really should get a definition for, strivings. A striving, is, striving for something is to make strenuous effort towards a goal. He looks back at all the things he, he was reaching for, he was longing for, he was leaning into, he was passionate about all the days and weeks and months and years of his life. What are those things he was grabbing a hold of at every chance he could? He was striving towards. And he identifies four different areas of life, where he made that kind of strenuous effort, where he pursued it with all that he had, where he was striving for more. And he says, in these four areas, I want you to look at your life to see where your strivings are. That's what we're going to do this morning. So this morning's sermon time is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be less teaching and more self-evaluation, which if you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes and doing zero self-evaluation, then you're missing the book of Ecclesiastes. You can't, if you're going to take it seriously at all, you're going to look at your own life, and you're going to compare and learn. We're going to do some of that this morning. I'm going to spend a few moments introducing each of these four areas of striving to us. At the end of each one, we're going to hear a story from Jesus. Because Jesus told a story about each one of these. And then we're going to have just a brief moment of prayer where you are in, going to be invited to reflect on your own life and your own strivings and maybe begin to do what the book of Ecclesiastes invites you to do, to evaluate and learn. Before we dive into the first one, though, there's a three-word phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that we need to know about. Three words, and this phrase shows up 27 times in these 12 chapters. Throughout the whole rest of the Bible, it only shows up five. So 27 times in this one book. So we better know, if something like that shows up that often, you better ask yourself when you're reading Scripture, why? What does it mean? 
The phrase simply is, under the sun. Under the sun. What does that phrase mean? It's pretty important to know. When he talks about living life under the sun, he's identifying life that is lived apart from God. In his understanding, in his perspective, everything under the sun is done apart from God. Everything above the sun includes God. So when you read throughout the week, life done under the sun, it's life absent from the heavenly and from the things above. Absent from godliness and spiritual. Okay, keep that in mind. First, first pursuit, first striving that he is living for. And this is usually about the time where I tell you to take out your Bibles and turn to. I don't want you to this morning. I don't want you to turn to Scripture. I want you to hear it this morning. Because sometimes when you just hear it without reading it, you hear it in a different kind of way. The first pursuit that he dives into in his life is wisdom. Listen to this. This is what he writes. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding wisdom and also understanding madness and folly. And I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So know when you're reading these words, you're reading the words of one smart man. He studied, and he learned, and he analyzed, and he explored all the ways of this world until he was the smartest of the smart. He was the wisest of the wise. He understood philosophy and chemistry and algebra and agriculture and business and psychology, and, and he he probably could do Sudoku puzzles faster than any of you could, and if you were playing Trivial Pursuit, you want him on your team. He's the smartest of the smart. He understood the way the world worked. That's the key to wisdom, right? I understand how the world works. He discovers what, what makes things go. And in his search for that, he figures out what every wise person has figured out before him and after him. Whether it was a 6th century B.C. Chinese philosopher, or Aristotle, or Einstein, who are all credited with this quote, the writer of Ecclesiastes was the first to discover that the more you know, the less you understand. All of us are pursuing wisdom. 
Whether you made that choice or not, we are pursuing wisdom. We're trying to figure out how this world works. We want to know how the world works so that we can, <coughs> so we can have a little bit of control over it, right? So we can figure it out for our own lives, maybe control our own lives a bit. You know, we don't say it out loud, but we believe that if we can be wise enough to figure this life out, then we don't really need God. Just figure out the way the world works and you're all set. Don't leave anything to chance. So we try and figure out you know, the best way to raise your children. If I just do the right things for my child, he'll turn out perfectly. And if we can just learn the perfect business model and, and have effective networking, then I can have a successful career. And if I just work hard and then maybe outsmart the stock market a little bit, then I can be set financially. I just need to figure out how this thing works. If I do A and B, I'll get C. And then we figure out that life doesn't work that way. We do our best with our children. We think we made all the right decisions. Then they break our hearts and they make choices that we never would have desired. We work hard all throughout our life. We invest the best we can, and then we end up losing it all or still struggling financially. We do A, and we do B, and we get F instead of C because life does not go in a straight line, which is exactly what this teacher figures out. It's crooked, he says. Life is crooked with unexpected and illogical twists and turns that throw our plans off. He says there's, there's gaps in the logic of how the world works. And, and there's holes in our best laid plans and those holes become potholes that derail us. And no matter how wise we become, we cannot reduce life to this this neat, controlled system. And we can't solve the fundamental problems of life, and we can't figure out what brings fundamental joy. We can't lay it all out. At least we can't do that, he says, under the sun, apart from God. Says true wisdom takes, yes, our best understanding, our wisdom, our smarts, Plus the presence of God. Those two things together. Our best wisdom plus faith in God's purposes. Plus pursuing his plan. Plus trusting him for our future. That's exactly the story that Jesus tells. When he tells the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Listen to this story. And then join in prayer that we would pursue wisdom beyond the sun, not just under the sun. The words of Jesus from Matthew 7. Jesus said, Therefore, Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Would you pray with me? God, we, we thank you for giving us wisdom through your word and guidance through your spirit. Here in the parable of the wise and foolish builders, we see how wisdom is so directly tied to simply hearing your word and doing what it says. And God, we pray that you pardon us when we miss the simplicity of this truth. We confess together that we try to pursue wisdom on our own, sometimes out of pride or for selfish serving reasons. And God, when we find wisdom, we also confess that we're pretty quick to take credit for it. In these moments, we invite you to examine our hearts. Remind us through this scripture that we will be counted as wise, that we will find wisdom in you when we hear and then obey what you tell us. We ask for the strength to embrace this simple truth and not overcomplicate it. And when we do, God, we will be wise in the knowledge of you and build our lives on that firm foundation instead of foolishly building on anything else. We thank you for the truth of your word. Amen. So he tried wisdom. He strove to be the wisest, the smartest, to figure out life and realize he can't figure it all out. He can't plan it. He can't control it. So he goes to the other extreme and he decides, you know, I'm just going to pursue pleasure instead. If all of this striving towards wisdom leaves him empty, why not just go for whatever's going to bring you great satisfaction, right? And so that's exactly what he does. He gives up on wisdom and he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So he treats himself, he tells us about it, treats himself to, to whatever he desires in this world, to whatever good things this world offers. And he starts, he starts with, with laughter and folly. Pure and simple fun for fun's sake. He fills his evenings with drinking wine and craft beer with his friends. He books a few cruises over the summer, buys a cottage on the lake so that he can head out there. He gets season tickets to the Tigers. What could be better than that, right? He, he gets his money's worth out of his Netflix subscription on his big flat screen TV watching whatever recommendation comes. And when he's not watching Netflix, he's out in his blind hunting or out in the river fishing in his boat. Or, or maybe sometimes he's just curled up with his favorite novel in front of the fireplace on a cold day. He has a great time doing whatever his heart desires, whatever's fun. Whatever is fun. And then he steps back and, and, and reflects on it. And he realizes that all of this that is supposed to be so joy-filled and happy is leaving him empty. He says, laughter is meaningless. And what does pleasure accomplish? Nothing. So he rewinds and thinks, okay, maybe, maybe I need to pursue a different kind of pleasure. The kind of pleasure that, that comes from accomplishing something significant. 
because you want to, right? The joy that comes from being productive. So he, he puts his mind and his heart and his life towards doing the things that he loves to do. He lists them for us. He says, I, I designed my own house and I built it myself turning that reality, that dream into reality right before my own eyes. He says he bought extra acreage and he planted an orchard and started growing trees, became a hobby farmer and pretty soon he bought a few cows and goats. He's getting eggs every morning from his chickens and everything's going so well he decides to turn his, his hobby into a business just for fun, doesn't need to have the business but just ends up employing like a dozen people goes really, really well. And, and in the evening when he's got some free time, he, uh, he does some day trading with his retirement account, doubles it easily. Everything's golden for him. Whatever he puts his mind to, who knows what else he did. Maybe he learned a second language. Maybe he learned to play the guitar. Maybe he, he, he decided to take up running because he wanted to run a marathon. Whatever he put his heart to, all these great things in life. And he steps back after doing them and he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Empty. Striving for pleasure the pleasures that are found under the sun, he says. The pleasures that are found apart from God will leave you empty. Oh, at the time, we may think life is full. We might think that we are, we are living high. But in the end, it will empty out. And the empty space left within us will be filled with regret, he says. Regret over that time squandered on things that don't matter. Regret over opportunities lost because we were busy doing these other meaningless things. Regret over resources that God granted us wasted on things that don't matter. Regret over days and weeks and months and years that we can never get back again. Because pleasure that truly satisfies comes from, yes, enjoying life. Because God, God gave us life to enjoy. Plus the presence of God. And yes, as Paul pointed out in his prayer, obedience to God and true joy in life, they are not mutually exclusive. They do go together really, really well. That's where you find true pleasure. It's what the lost son learns the hard way. When he leaves the seemingly overbearing father to go out and have the time of his life. Listen to Jesus' story before we spend time praying in our pursuit of pleasure. The parable of the lost son from Luke 14. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided up his property between the two of them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set out for a distant country where he squandered all of his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave your side and to stray, stray towards so many earthly pleasures. God, far too often we are like the lost son in your parable. Forgive us. Give us grace and give us mercy for times when we gain pleasure from things that hold us far away from you. Keep us away from these temptations, God. Forgive us when we obsess with creating a life of constant pleasure and of constant comfort. By your spirit, give us understanding to know that true pleasure will come when we are firmly rooted in you. May we celebrate and find joy in who you are and who we are through you, God. Lead us to the satisfaction that comes from knowing you. It's all for your glory, we pray. Amen. So a few months after my father passed away years ago, my mom invited me and my siblings over on a Saturday afternoon uh, to help pack up and put away my dad's home office that was down in the basement. It was a great memory-sharing afternoon. Um, I can remember one, one profound moment in that process that stuck in my head. And we're, we're sorting through all of his stuff, processing, putting everything in its right place, and, and we came across a couple big paper boxes of his sermons. Forty years of sermons packed away in these two boxes. Forty years of sermons that, that were poured out of his heart and out of his mind, right? That were pounded out on his, his heavy manual typewriter, that were preached with love and passion and that God used to shape and change people's lives, all filed away by date and indexed by passage. Here they were in front of us. What do we do with them now? They all ended up in the paper recycling bin. I now file all of my sermons by date and index them by passage. This is number 2051, in case you were curious. And someday, you know what's going to happen to all those sermons that I'm pouring my heart and life into? They're going to get put in the recycle bin. They're going to become insulation for somebody's house. Listen to these words. So I hated life because of the work that is done under the sun. It was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise 
or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill. And then they must leave all that they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Now, you and I, in our culture, we so often define ourselves by the work that we do. We define others by the work that they do, right? How many times when you meet somebody new, you're introduced to somebody, and the one of the first questions you ask them is, so what do you do? Guilty, right? We define people by the work that they do. We make judgments and assumptions on them according to the work that they do. And we do it for ourselves. We link our own self-worth to our career and our work, how successful we are, how many people we've networked with on LinkedIn, how well we are providing for our family's financial needs through our work. And if there's one area in life where you and I affirm striving, where we say, yes, you strive there, you reach, you grab, you pull, you get all that you can, it's at our work. Right? We value people who work hard, who put in long hours, who sacrifice a lot for their job. Good job. Well done, we tell them. We will choose to miss out on some really important things in life, like our children, in order to invest in our work, to strive for our career. As he said, we toil And we anxiously strive as we labor under the sun. But he reminds us that our jobs, our work, is part of that never-ending cycle of life that he introduced us to last week in chapter 1, right? Here's the cycle. You're part of the cycle. You will work hard. You will gain. You You will profit. And then someone will come after you, and they will sit at your desk. Or they will take your spot on the factory floor and they will come with their own ideas and they might redo or even undo everything that you did and, and you will take everything that you've earned you will hand it off to the next generation and who knows what they're going to do with it. And whatever you earned, you will leave it behind. And the cycle starts over again with the next generation. All that you work to build and gain here under the sun you will leave behind under the sun to where it belongs. It will not be what defines you for eternity. And yet, when we change the equation, when we move beyond just the under the sun outlook on our work, and we make it the work that we do plus God, in partnership with God, then suddenly the whole perspective can change. 
Right? When we hear God's calling in our vocation, then we move beyond the under-the-sun prophets of success and money, and we see our purpose being redeemed and fulfilled by God through the calling that he gives us, and we see our work fulfilling his eternal kingdom redemption purposes instead of our temporary kingdom desires. And then, when we're doing that, we'll discover, we'll discover that our anxious striving will be transformed into a gracious receiving of what God has given us. We recognize God's graciousness in our work and in our toil and in all of our striving. Which is exactly what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20 when he shares the story of the workers of the vineyard who received the grace of God for the toil that they've done. Listen to this story. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three, and again around five in the afternoon, and did the same thing. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. All the workers received a denarius. When they received it, some began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have paid, made them equal to us, and, have bo and we have borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray together. Lord of heaven and of earth, sovereign king, God, we know the truth in the teacher's words, that you are the giver of wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And we trust, God, that in you we might move beyond the wisdom of this world, the empty wisdom which glorifies busyness, which lauds the, the workaholic, and advocates the wealth and success define us. Forgive us, Lord, for succumbing to this and other patterns of the world, rather than what you have taught us. Forgive us also, Lord, for when we too closely identify with the workers in the vineyard, grumbling at what we perceive as unfairness, and forgive us also for when we hate life and all things toiled for in vain as the teacher. We pray, Father, that you would renew our minds, that you would transform our perspective, and that you would cause us to no longer toil merely for wealth and success, but that you would redeem the works of our hand for your glory, for your purposes, and for the sake of your kingdom. 
To you, God, be all glory, honor, and power. And in your glorious name we pray. Amen. And finally, words of wisdom from the teacher that my guess is we will find it hardest to believe. In fact, this lesson is probably the greatest of them all, but the hardest to hear. He calls this one, this pursuit, a grievous evil. He uses that term multiple times, a grievous evil. What could be so ugly, so dangerous, so harmful that he would say this one is a grievous evil? The answer is pursuing wealth under the sun, apart from God. Making money your purpose. Making money the God that you worship. That's a grievous evil that will leave you empty. But he gives three truths about our pursuit of wealth that he wants us to learn before we make the same mistake. Truth number one. He warns us that whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. If accumulating more and more money is what you are striving for, that's what you're reaching for, that's what you're grasping for, that's what you're leaning into, then know that your striving will never end. You will never have a break. You will never find relief because you will never, ever, ever, ever have enough. He he recognizes in this passage in chapter 5, he recognizes that that on one extreme, poverty certainly has its share of of significant problems. (laughs) That's not where you want to be. You want to avoid poverty. But he says going to the other extreme and pursuing wealth at all costs, nonstop, leaning into that, that has its share of significant problems as well. And you don't want to trade one set of problems for another. Find that hard to believe? That being extremely rich will be just as bad as being extremely poor? That will leave you empty? Because we'll choose that side every day of the week, won't we? Well, we, can, we continue to live out what the teacher learned thousands of years ago, truth number two. He says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. It's true. Greater wealth brings greater worry, not greater peace. It brings anxiety about the future. It brings fear about all that you might lose. While the common laborer who who maybe is living paycheck to paycheck, who puts in an honest day's work, who trusts God for the future, for tomorrow, sleeps well. Truth number three, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Whatever possessions you are striving for, whatever pile of money you are hoping to get here in this life, 
whatever you are working so hard to gain and grasp and own and possess here under the sun, you will leave it all behind. Guaranteed. You've heard the phrase before. You don't see any hearses with luggage racks. You're going to leave it all behind. Doesn't matter how big your pile is. Doesn't matter what possessions they are. You will leave it behind. All the wealth you have gained, you will lose every bit of it. Which is why a love for God above all, above money and possessions, puts our pursuit of wealth into a healthy perspective. Right, when, when we recognize God's generosity in our finances, it all comes from him, right? And when we're investing in his purposes, purposes that look beyond the sun, that go beyond this under the sun stuff, purposes that make an eternal difference, purposes that pursue his kingdom that will last forever instead of our own little temporary kingdoms, it's then that we will discover what contentment feels like. It's then that we will discover what satisfaction really feels like. It's then that we will finally find the peace that lets us set the striving aside. And we will begin to experience the joy that God's good gifts to us can bring. Jesus himself gives that very same warning about loving the wealth that we find under the sun. He tells us a pretty sobering story. And it's a story where I would guess most of us could take the role as the lead actor. Listen to Jesus' story. And then spend some time in prayer about your striving in life. We're going to read the parable of the rich fool. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Shall we pray? Father, this is always a hard topic, a hard topic to talk about, a hard topic to think about, a hard topic to reflect on our own lives. Father, we live in a country that's at the top of the world for income and wealth, and so often we find ourselves looking down the street to compare rather than thinking about the person who lives off less than a dollar a day. 
Father, we worry sometimes, and we work hard, and yet, God, we wonder if it's enough. Father, you invite us to a spirit of generosity. You invite us to see the goodness that you have given us. And Father, you invite us to continue to work hard in your kingdom for your glory. Father, forgive us for when contentment eludes us, when fear takes over, or when our striving causes us to lose sight of you as the great provider. Father, help us to see how the world is pulling us along, inviting us to strive on our own, to not trust you, and to not give. Father, we are so thankful we actually have the opportunity to give. It's a gift. Father, thank you for loving us and for caring for us and for guiding us each day with wisdom about also how to use our wealth for you and your kingdom. In thy name we pray. Amen. So for about 30 minutes here, we've been still. You've been listening to the teacher. You've been listening, hopefully, to your life. Hopefully listening to God. And now in just a minute, the stillness is going to end. And you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to step back into the rat race of life, into the flow of life as this culture and this world tells you to live. And, and your, your life is again going to be filled with striving. Striving towards gaining more knowledge so that you can control your life. Striving towards more pleasure as you search for joy. Striving towards, towards greater satisfaction found in your work. Striving towards more money, hope, hoping it will bring you more peace. And know that none of these four things is bad. Don't hear the teacher saying, these are all evil, run away. No. But all of them will leave us with regret if we're doing them under the sun. If you're pursuing them apart from God. A well-lived, fully satisfied life Yes, it's lived here under the sun, but it sees beyond the sun. Its purposes reach beyond the sun. It finds true joy and satisfaction when wisdom and pleasure and work and wealth are all pursued in partnership and at the direction of God himself. Know that. And so now as you go out into your week, Live this week listening carefully. Listen. Listen for the striving in your life. 
And when you discover that place where you are leaning in, where you are strenuously reaching for and grasping and pursuing, listen to the teacher and listen to God. And find out, are you living this life under the sun or beyond the sun? Would you stand, please, to receive God's parting blessing? You and I need this blessing because this world will pull you in. This world will put you on a path to strive for what it says is important. You need to go with God. Receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace and give you his wisdom as you learn to strive for what really matters. Amen. Go in peace.